Thanks, Justin. We've been, uh, as you know, reading through Psalms of Ascent as we head towards Easter, and uh, it's getting closer and closer every single week. Um, This morning, I'm excited to share uh, a prayer God's been keeping on my heart um, for a while now, and uh, I I think it's going to really be impactful as we head into the Easter season, but I think it's really going to be more impactful um, as we head into summer and all the opportunities that are there in summer for us to build relationships, to um, go after those who uh, maybe want nothing to do with Christ or His church. And uh, I'm just praying for you all as we head into the summer months that we, um, we go in strong and we, we go in in confidence of who God is uh, in our lives. And so uh, we're going to hear more about that this morning. And uh, there was an article I was reading uh, by the name of John Bloom, and he said something interesting in the very beginning. He said, uh, soldiers don't learn to fight in a classroom. They learn about fighting in the classroom. And uh, I thought that was interesting, uh, that I think oftentimes when we think of our spiritual life, we can, we can learn a lot of stuff about what Christ wants to do in our life. But when it comes to actually living it, it, it gets a little more difficult. And I love that he says that soldiers, they, they learn about fighting there. But when it comes to the actual fight, they've got to be prepared and ready when they hit the battlefield for this to actually uh, work. And in the same article, he says, we should expect him, uh, speaking of God, we should expect God to force us out of the classroom and onto the real field of spiritual battle, where the conflict is much more chaotic, disturbing, disorienting, frightening, depressing, <laughs> and sorrowful than we ever expected. I think when we feel that God is distant or quiet, when we go through seasons of frightening or depressing or sorrowful or disturbing and disorienting, we feel that God is quiet or distant. And it could be that in that quietness, he is just waiting for us to grow up. Um, He may be trying to develop in us uh, an unshakable resolve, an unshakable resilience in us that takes time. But when we have it, when we build up that ability to take a punch, as you will, and get back up, I feel like then God starts to say, okay, so we've matured a bit. We've gone past just the feelings and the, I'm not feeling like serving Jesus today. I get back up. I tell the truth to myself. I pray Psalms back over my life and I get back up and I get back in the battle. And for some of you in this room, you've been there, you've been knocked down, and you're like, I don't want to get back up today. I'd rather just give up on this whole thing of Christianity because it's just easier. But I'm here to tell you that it's better to get back up, and we're going to talk about that this morning, what it means to get back up after taking a punch and uh, get back up to fight. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4 says it like this, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual we're happening to you. Don't be surprised when this stuff happens. I think sometimes when stuff comes into our life, we're like, where did this come from? And Peter's like, don't be surprised. There's nothing unusual about this. This is to be expected in the Christian life. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says it this way. Now narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Difficult and narrow are where God says we are to focus our attention in time. So this morning, we're going to look at three stories together. And as we look at these three stories, they're going to build one big prayer. And here's the prayer, that God would make our faith resilient. 
I pray that as a community Bible church, we would start to grow. We would start to mature as a Christian believer, man and woman of God, and say, you know what? I used to be this way where I just kind of cower and I'd think, why is God against me and how bad my life is? But over time, I've grown a resiliency, not a numbness, a resiliency in my faith. It says, I can take it. I can take whatever the enemy's dishing out. And I'll handle it and I'll get back up because Christ in me is winning this battle. And so this morning, our prayer is that God would make our faith resilient. And that's the prayer I want you to be praying this week. God, would you make my faith steady? Would you take the, be able to weather the storms and get back up and face another day, able to take a battle? So we're going to look at three stories this morning and one new truth. There are three stories to get through, so I promise I will stay broad and overview this morning. I'm not going to get into the weeds on this. We're going to stay above the weeds in this. And... Three stories, two of which are true in history, one of which is fictional and made up. All of them are in the Bible, all right? So we're going to look at two that are true, one that's made up, and they are all in the Bible. So let me pray for us as we get started, and then we'll open up into 1 Kings together. God, thank you so much for being a God who knows us inside and out. You know what it means to grow us as a good coach. You know what it means to allow us to face things on our own And yet also at times where you're so close, we just feel you, we know you're there. I thank you that you're a good enough coach to know when you're allowing us to run the play by ourselves and and, and doing the initiative to build these things and when we need to stay close to you. Knowing that no matter how much you've asked us to do, we are to lean and attach ourselves to the vine, which is you. We can do nothing outside of you. And so we pray you'd grow us this morning through your word. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. All right, so three stories together. I'm excited to get into these. First Kings chapter 17, uh, 8 through 24. You can turn there in your Bibles. If not, I'll just give you the overview because we're going to be in three different sections of your Bible this morning. First Kings chapter 17, verse 8 to 24 is the first story that we're going to tell. So picture yourself. It's the Middle East. It is a Lebanon area. And uh, the cities are still kind of around today, uh, not obviously as they were in the Old Testament. But the story is in the Middle East. And picture this scene. Actually, this is a good picture of it. Imagine the desert. There is nothing around you. It is barren. And you are in the middle of a drought. God has caused a drought and has used a man named Elijah to deliver the news that he says Israel and the surrounding areas are going to have no water for, for a long, long, long period of time. Okay, so Elijah has just pronounced this in the beginning of chapter 17, and then the word comes to him in verse 8. It says, the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, and he says, arise and go to Zarephath, which is fun to say, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he goes by the word of God into this town, and there's a drought is going on. This prophet, this mouthpiece of God is sent to this city in the area of Sidon, in the Old Testament, in the country that is now Lebanon. In this area, a widow is trying to survive, and she is barely making it, okay? And we find this widow with her, we're going to find out she has a son, and she is outside in this kind of environment. Think, think the hottest day of the, of the year, nothing around you, there's barely anything to eat, and she's out in this area picking up sticks, 
You know, have you ever been camping before and, and, and there's no wood around to make a fire, right? And what you're hoping is that this small little twig is dry enough or, 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 or convenient enough to, to, to light something and start this fire. You're hoping and praying that I can gather enough kindle to make this fire. That's what she's doing. She's out picking up these sticks in order to make a fire. And she is going then home to make a meal. That's what we know so far. Now, as she's picking up the sticks, a prophet named Elijah, sent by God, comes into her town and sees her picking up sticks and just goes up to her and has a conversation beginning in verse 10. He says to her, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may have a drink. Now, let's just not, you know, let's not read this as a newspaper article. Let's, let's remember this is real life. It's a drought right? There is no water to be found. And in comes the prophet of God himself and says, hey, could you give me some water? To which the widow had to be thinking, are you crazy? Have you not been here for the last year and a half? Do you not see around you? Yeah, let me go grab you some water out of the spring. Like there's no water to be found. So that's the first kind of thing. It's kind of a weird introduction to this story. What do you mean, go get you some water? There's no water here. And yet, somehow, There must have been somewhere, some way that she knew it. Maybe she was storing it up in her house. We don't know. But he continues in verse 10. He says, bring me a little water vessel. And verse 11 says, and as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So as she's going to get water, he says, oh, and by the way, bring me some food too. (laughs) To which a widow who doesn't really know this guy is probably like, are you crazy? Are you kidding me? I'm going to go get you some food and some water and that doesn't make sense. And then on top of that, we we read the second level of what's happening in the story, and we find out that she's kind of in the middle of something. She tells him kind of the equivalent of, I would love to get you your your, your bread and your water. I would love to do that. However, uh, you caught me at a really bad time because one, it's a drought, and two, I'm preparing my last supper for my meal and for for my son and myself. This is the last food we're ever going to eat. We are so starved that whatever we have left, we're going to eat and then we're going to die. That's what she says to Elijah. To which a normal person would say, I've just put my foot in my mouth. This is really awkward. How do I get out of it? Instead, Elijah goes into verse 12 and he said to him, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful. She says, A flour jar, oil, I have nothing to give you. That whole thing, come to die. Verse 13, here's his response. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you said. But first, 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 before you do that, before you go and die, make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterward, you can, you can make something for yourself and your son. But first, just go make me a little cake. And if it could have icing around it and like a happy birthday to me, that'd be fantastic. If you could just go and do that. To which this widow was kind of like, are you kidding me? Right? Are you joking? I just told you we're going to die. How rude, how inconvenient is Elijah to think, just go and do it. I don't care. No big deal. Could you make the cake instead? Any leftovers, you and your dying son, you can have that. Offensive, hard. It builds this faith, though, in her. That as he says it, she goes and she does it. And as she does it, she continues to have food, uh, food after food after food. There's, there's days and days and days where God keeps supplying what she needs, supplying what she needs, supplying what she needs. And the miraculous happens where she always has food in her cupboards. It's crazy. It's amazing. And then from that story, the end of First Kings, we read that he, he later has an encounter with her where her son actually dies and he lays over the son three times and the son raises from the dead. And I think, what would have happened had she missed out? What, what would happen if she wouldn't have had the resiliency to say, you know what, okay, fine, I'm going to go with your crazy idea and make you a cake, okay, as my son and I die. 
That's a weird scenario to go in. But her faith brings this guy into her life, and God does the miraculous through this widow. First story, okay? Story number one. She's, there's a widow. Her son's about to die. There's barely anything to eat. God supplies exactly what they need in the midst of some pretty offensive words, right? And in, in, in the midst of some things you probably wouldn't say to somebody who's dying, right? I don't know that I've ever heard somebody and said, hey, I'm not doing well. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've got like 24 hours to live. And I said, hey, before you do that, could you come mow my lawn for me first? I've never done that to somebody. I've never had that conversation. It's never gone that way. Typically, I know how that's going to go. Uh, no. Um, but, but to him, it was kind of, a, I'm going to do this on assessor faith, and we see some miraculous things happen. Story number one. Story number two is Jesus himself. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip from there over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. And the reason I chose the second story is because it happens in the exact same town that we saw Elijah working in in the Old Testament. Isn't that crazy? So in the exact same area, in the exact same part of town, Jesus has another encounter with another woman who again, is going to hear some pretty hard things, and we're going to see how the story unfolds. So Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So again, Tyre and Sidon, same exact area that was in Lebanon, the exact same area this widow was, exact same area Elijah was. This is on purpose. This is Christ kind of showing his prophetic nature. This is who he was as a, as a God and a deity. He's showing some things of his proof of who he is. But that's not the point of the story. The point of this story we get into in the detail. So we jump ahead a couple hundred years. Jesus with his disciples are in the same area. This place has the same reputation that it had in the day of Elijah. What I didn't share was, in the days of Elijah, this town had a really bad reputation for following a really bad leader. One of those really bad leaders that they followed people in was a lady named Jezebel. I don't know if you've heard of the word Jezebel, but it was not equivalent. I don't know many parents today. They're like, I'm going to name my daughter mm, Jezebel. That sounds right, right? Because Jezebel, even if you don't know the Bible, you know something doesn't sound right. You're kind of like, it sounds like Beelzebub, right? And you're on track because Jezebel was that kind of personality. She was that kind of woman. She was the kind of woman who showed up the tyrants and kings of her day with her viciousness and she's like, you're being too weak. You're being too soft. Let me handle this. And she would just annihilate everybody. I mean, it's just kind of her, her thing. And people in Canaan followed her lead. And so for years and years and years, it was known as that kind of country. You didn't associate with those kind of people. They were violent. They were ugly, disgusting people. You had nothing to do with them. And Jesus finds himself here in the same area with another woman. Again, woman, I've chosen women in this on purpose because women were not seen as respected. They weren't seen as equivalent, and yet we're going to see some really cool things out of her story here this morning. Evil, disgusting people with a heritage to back it up is the idea, and so woman number two comes into the picture, and woman number two comes into the picture screaming. I was going to scream into the microphone, but I like you too much. I'm not going to do that to you, but it was loud, right? It was obnoxiously chaotic, like you thought that something was on fire. She was running in to see Jesus, and, and Jesus and the disciples are like, whoa, 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 and she is so loud and so in their face, and they're like, what in the world is 
happening right now. This woman comes running in. She came out and was, it says crying. Crying is not the quite equivalent. Throw in the word hysteria right there, right? She is hysteric as she comes in to disciples and Jesus. And she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. To which Jesus and the disciples had to be like, uh, Jesus? You know what I mean? Like, because what do you do with that? She's come in in this moment of need and this moment of desperation, and she is hysterical over what is happening in her daughter's life. Can I just tell you, as a side note to this, to, to tell you the depth of this, I have sadly and unfortunately been around funerals of parents who have had to bury their own kids. And it is the worst, worst scenario you could be around ever. It's the most, you have nothing to say in those moments. And, and if, if you've been there before, if, you, if you, that is you this morning, let me just say, I am so sorry and sympathetic that that has happened to you because there's nothing like it. And I can remember time after time after time, can I just tell you, there is nothing in this world, and I mean this 100% true because I've seen it, I've heard it, I've experienced it in my own family, There is nothing, nothing like the sound of a mother having to bury their own child. Nothing. You can't, there's a a pitch, there's a tone, there's a, it comes from here and just, uh, and if you hear it, you know it. And I still hear it in my head. There is a sound that is so deep and hurt of a mother with their child. And I imagine this woman, these sounds are coming out of her. She is hysterical. My daughter is going to die. You need to do something. If you don't move, nothing changes. Jesus, this is big. This is urgent. don't understand Jesus. And yet I do. Verse 24, that's the scenario he's entered into. And in verse 24, Jesus answered her, woman, he doesn't say woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The disciples are kind of like, ooh. Some of them are like, yeah. He's just said to her, your Canaanite daughter and Canaanite problem are your own problem. I've come for Israel, not your daughter. To which many of us in there were like, Jesus said that? Yeah. Wow. What do you do with that? That's the son of God. He's trying to fix what well, He doesn't fix it. He doesn't say, bring her here. He doesn't run to her. No. He just says, I've only come to the lost of Israel. This woman, I love this woman. She is amazing. This woman is strong, doesn't back away. In verse 25, she replies to this statement by Jesus. She says, but she came, this is so cool, and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She didn't stop. She didn't be like, okay, my bad. I must have the wrong Jesus. 
She, she kneels before him in anguish and knowing who Jesus is, she knows what's at stake and she bows before him. We think strong is getting back in Jesus' face. You think you've come to the house of Israel? Let me tell you who you've come for. You've come for me, thank you very much. Most mothers would have been, you don't understand. My daughter is, you're coming with me. Let's go, right? I mean, most of us get back in Jesus' face. She goes to her knees and we think that it's getting in his face is strength, but the strength she shows is kindness She's a humble dependence, a posture of weakness, a posture of submission. And she goes down on her knees and she says, just please, please, just help me. She knows who she is and she knows who he is. And at this point, we think the story's going to change. We think God's going to go. This is going to be amazing. Let's see what happens in verse 26. And in verse 26, Jesus says to her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What? It's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So Jesus has just now offended her by telling her he's not the lost sheep. And then he goes the next step and he says, you're a dog. To which the disciples are like, yeah, get him, Jesus. She deserves it. She's a Canaanite. Get her. And us in 2018 go, what? That's not the Jesus I remember. My Jesus was like white and happy and had a long flowing mullet. And that's, that's the kind of, you know, I've seen the pictures. He just called her a dog? Yeah. You don't take bread and you toss it to dogs. I don't take my ministry and just toss it to anybody like you. You're, you know, why, why would I do that to you? Why would I do that for you? It's a hard saying of Jesus. It's a hard rationale. What do you do with that? This woman takes the punch and she gets back up. This is so cool. Don't miss this. She's so cool. She says, yes, Lord, yet even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I'll take what I can get. I get it. the humility of her, this woman. Because the disciples want nothing to do with her. We read earlier, the disciples are like, get her out of here. She is crazy. She's loud. She's obnoxious. It's driving us insane. Make her stop. Just shut her up and get her out of here. We're tired of hearing her wailing about her daughter. We don't care. Jesus starts to have this conversation and think, Jesus is on our side. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I'll take the crumbs. I'll take the hit. Call me a Canaanite dog. That's fine. It's not about me. It's about my daughter. And I know you can heal her. So if you want to call me that, call me that. That is fine. Let's, let's just, just put it on the table. I know who I am. And I know the holiness of who you are. And I know that you can heal her. Even if it's with crumbs, I know that you can do this. So she doubled down on Jesus. Imagine that. To have the confidence to stand up to Jesus himself and be like, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going away. I am not backing down from this conversation. She doubles down on Jesus. She turns it back on Jesus, showing her strong faith, her strong will, her resilience. She absorbs the punch and gets back on her feet. It's amazing. Story number three. Fictional story. This is the made-up one, but this is another story that we're going to dive into really quick. Luke chapter 18, fictional story. There is a fictional story about a fictional woman, a fictional widow. 
and a fictional corrupt judge in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking here in a parable type form, so he's made up this story, so don't get caught up in all the nuances. Just remember this is his way of communicating a big concept. Fictional story about a horribly corrupt judge. The widow kept coming to this judge demanding justice. In verse 3 of chapter 18, it says this, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to this judge, to him, and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Day after day after day after day, she would come and she would come and she would come and she would come. For all the students in the room, uh, so imagine this kind of scenario. It's, it's like ongoing, repeated, repeated, repeated. So for the students and for those who are, are fans of kind of the Marvel Universe, think of Doctor Strange and uh, think of the time where he goes and he goes, Dramamu, I've come to bargain, right? And remember, he gets obliterated and he comes back, Dramamu. I've come to bargain. And it's like over and over and over and over and over. And he goes, what is this crazy thing you've done? Cool story. Um, and he comes back and he says, that's kind of the idea. He says, I've come to bargain. I've come to give me justice. 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 And this judge is like, oh my gosh, just get her out of here. Just make it stop. And so the woman comes coming day after day after day, demanding the same thing. And his resolve, her resolve was incredible. Rejection after rejection after rejection, she came back. And the judge finally just gets just to get her out of his face, grants her request. And the fictional story, this fictional story ends with a weird connection that makes God sound like the judge. Not sounds like the judge. Jesus says God is the judge. And there's a whole other you know, level to that. But, but this resiliency in this widow of coming time and time again and again and again and again. So what do we have? We have three strong women, three strong requests from these women, and three very odd responses from God himself. All of the responses you've heard this morning are kind of like, that is not what I thought he would do. I thought he would just kind of like accept it and move on and, and, and heal me and, and make life better. Isn't that what Jesus does? He's just come to make my life easier, better, more efficient. That's what God comes to do. But in every single one, there's a weird response. And all of them, I believe, is building us to say, God, grant us a resilient faith like the women in these scriptures. Give us a strong faith like these women in the Bible. Give us a strong, resilient faith. A resilient faith that gets back up. Ladies, be encouraged by these ladies that God has given you as examples in the Bible to be strong, stay strong. Don't run from being a strong woman of God and who's called you to lead your families in the way that he's called you to lead. But let me also say to you men in the room, this is, this is so crucial to us as men. Would you remember that God has called you to lead your family well? God has called you to live a life, a resilient faith that gets your feet back up and stands back up and not back on the couch. I love you. But God has called you to get up and lead and to be a strong man who leads your family well. Can I just tell you, the ladies in the room, and I could be wrong in this, maybe it's just my wife, but... Can I just tell you that the ladies in this room, I would say probably, I'm going to go out on a limb, 99% of them in this room would love their men to be strong and love when their men are strong and leading and setting the example and trying their best to work their way through their faith. Honey, I'm new to this Jesus thing. I don't even know how to open my Bible, but I'm going to try. Wow. That's awesome, right? 
Guys in this room, I've got, you've probably got every excuse in the book of why you can't lead in your families. And can I just tell you that every single one of those excuses is lame? Because <laughs> God has called you to lead. And God has called you to have a resilient kind of faith. And here's what I also secretly know about you and I know about me. There is something in us that when we're called to a hard challenge, we like it. We love it. We may not always do it. <laughs> so trust me, that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> we may not always do it, but there is something in us. It's like, yeah, give me the hard stuff. Give me something hard to do. I don't want to talk about all my emotions and stuff in church and, and get all these emotional songs. And that's not me. I don't do that. Let me go and do something effective and use my hands and build something and beat something up. That's what I want to do. Great. Come on, let's go. Let's do it. Let's be resilient in our faith. That's a side note. That's a tangent. But this morning, God has given us an opportunity to have a resilient kind of faith that is tough, that is strong, that is aggressive, that is playing smash mouth offense. And here is my fear, is that we wake up against an enemy day after day after day. We wake up against an enemy that wants to kill you and destroy you and your family not just call you names, not just lie about you behind your back, not he wants to you know, make your life uncomfortable. You have an enemy against you, biblically speaking, who wants to seek and kill and destroy you, John 10.10. 10. He wants to destroy everything you hold valuable. And we can wake up day after day and day after day and be numb to this. That's why 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone to lick. Looking for anyone just to kind of numb at. Looking for anyone just to kind of, you know, like our, our dog at the house, like if you play with him enough, he, he kind of ruffles and he knows how hard to bite, right? Because he's been smacked too many times. If he dives down too hard, I won't bite back. Right? He knows just to gum you, Right? That's not what this says. This says this is a roaring lion looking to who he can devour. Think nature channel and blood just dripping off and teeth and you're just kind of like, ah, right? And blood just kind of coming off the side. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, exactly. The devil is that kind of enemy who wants to seek and kill and destroy those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I know it sounds like a crazy nature video, but I'm telling you, I have seen too many men and too many lives that have been destroyed by an enemy who is prowling around and taking them down every single step of the way. And and then he looks and he's like, I've got them. They're down and they're destroyed. And then after they're destroyed, I take the whole family out and I win. And I've seen it. I've seen it too many times. And he says, I'm looking for someone to devour. And it's true and it's real. I think we've been lulled to sleep by a culture of niceness and have forgotten the fact that a real enemy exists. Real sin exists. And winning more and more, it feels as if, by taking more and more people that we love to hell. I think that's the reality. And we get caught up in niceness, but the truth is, while we're trying to be nice and politically correct, he's been devouring. He is taking people to hell while we make sure we don't respond the wrong way or to the wrong post on Facebook. I don't know if I should put that on there. I just want to be nice. I don't know if I should call him out on that because I don't want to offend him. I don't know if I should really say that because it's like the whole thing, right? I mean, judge not unless you be judged. So that's the whole thing. I don't know if I should say anything. And yet the whole time, they're getting dragged away, and you're kind of like, I should probably step, eh, I'm all right. They'll be all right. And they're kicking and screaming on the way out the door. No, help me. And you're like, no, you're good. I'll see you later. 
We get bent out of shape because our, di- our kids don't like us enough. We get bent out of shape because we don't get the approval we thought we needed. We get bent out of shape because no one notices our hard work. We get bent out of shape because the church isn't meeting my needs. We get bent out of shape because, and you can fill in your blank. We get bent out of shape a lot over small things, and the enemy is winning every single time. My prayer for us at community is we would wake up and we'd say, enough is enough. And so, as I say that, let me just say that a lot of this is focused back on me and not just you this morning. Um, I've been tired and have said we're good enough at times this year. I've woken up certain mornings and being like, ah, I think we're all right. I think the church is going okay. We're, we survived the year three. We're, we're making it. We got people coming. That's good. We got some income. We're, we're doing all right. We're kind of making it and settling in. And I've been tired and said those things myself. And we've had a good number of people from this size of a town to come to this church and our numbers are, are good and I'm, I'm okay. And we're just like the other churches in the area. We can just kind of settle in now and do church. And God has constantly reminded me, and I want to remind you, that is not why God planted this church. God didn't plant this church to have another Sunday morning. I remember I've shared this story with many of you before. I'll share it again for those who haven't heard it. When we first started planting here, I had conversations with pastors in town. I specifically went to them and said, hey, I'm planting a church. I just want to let you know. Uh, We're not trying to steal from you. That's not our goal at all. We just want to reach the lost because we feel like that's available here. And I remember this this, uh, elder looked at me and he said, you know what? That's great. That's fantastic. But you know what? Uh, We really don't need another Sunday morning around this town. (laughs) Over breakfast that I was paying for, and I'm kind of like, oh, Okay, well, here's your bill. No, I didn't. I just said, I turned him and I said, you know what? You're exactly right. We do not need another Sunday morning around here. We don't need another place for a bunch of people to come and feel good about themselves and sit on Sunday morning and then leave and say, I did my Sunday morning service. We don't need that. That's not why we planted this church. We planted this church to develop sacrificial, authentic followers of Jesus Christ to intentionally make him known to those in this world around us. I love that video. I love that some of this is wearing off. I love that in that video I heard authenticity, I heard family, I heard genuineness, and each of them in that video were intentionally sought after, continually prayed for by name to be part of this family. Sacrificial, authentic is good. Intentional is our theme for 2019, though. And intentional is making his name known. So my question is, do we love this community enough to not let them die a spiritual death? Do we love this community enough to get back up on our feet when we've been knocked down and say, you know what? That was, that was, that was terrible. I don't want to go through that again. But I'm back up. Let's go. Let's fight this thing. Let's go after this community that needs a strong, resilient faith. This morning... I want to end each of these stories and show you how each of them kind of came to this resilient end. We live like these women, strong, resilient. We got to get back up. We fight because when we fight, we become stronger in our faith. We are, to put it as we said at the beginning, we are made to do life in battle and not just a classroom. Strong faith is not surprised by pain. Strong faith has been through some hard times. 
Weak faith is surprised when pain comes, and weak faith has had little to test it. Strong faith has experienced some really bad stuff. Weak faith has read a book about weak stuff or a post about somebody's weak stuff, hard stuff. Ooh, that was hard. I could totally relate to them. Can you? Maybe. Strong faith runs the play. Weak faith just kind of sits on the sidelines and studies the play. I would love to run that. Let me just walk it through one more time. One more time. I just want to make sure I got it before I ran around the field and get hurt. I just want to make sure I got this. So you're saying we, right? Strong faith takes the hit. Weak faith avoids the fight. Strong faith hears and categorizes criticism, and weak faith quiets and internalizes criticism. Let me say that one again. Strong faith hears and categorizes criticism for what it is, puts it in the category that it's useful or it's not useful. Weak faith quietly accepts every criticism and internalizes all of it. Strong faith has its focus on a strong Jesus. Weak faith has its strong focus on you, myself. I can get through this. We must see this as God's story and not ours. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, the reason for this whole thing that happened in, in, in this widow's life and in this town and the resurrection of her son was not for the widow's sake, was not for the son's sake. The whole reason this happened was for, for the fact of God's sake. And Ahab made an Asherah pole, or an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And he served Baal through this whole thing. God's whole reason for chapter 17 is not so much just to prove that he could do it, it or, or not, it's not so much for the widow's sake, it was to prove that he was better than the gods that they served. Baal couldn't raise somebody from the dead. Baal couldn't make food happen instantaneously. God went after the gods of their time to remind them, you're in God's story, not just your own story. Story number two, same country as Elijah. It was about Christ's divinity, God's name, God's fame in the story of this young widow. And as you read the end of that story in Matthew chapter 15... He says this, after this breadcrumb thing, verse 28, this is amazing. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. <laughs> Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Isn't that cool? Jesus, like a good coach, he didn't just leave her. He's like, your faith is strong. Oh my gosh, she just showed up all you guys. I could almost see him looking at, look at his disciples going, See? Be like her. And they're all like, oh, man. Like, we blew it again. Like, every single time he gets us. Every single time. And he just look at her. She's the one with great faith. Look at how much she endured. I called her a dog for crying out loud, and she came back. Great is your faith. Let it be done. And in, verse, or in the story number three, it was his desire to make his name great, to show how much better he was than this evil judge. I am better than this evil judge. I am better than anything you've ever experienced in your life. And I have come to make you strong. So my question this morning is, what is Community Bible Church's role in this story? What is he calling Community Bible Church to rise up and fight against? Well, next, area, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that specific area of fighting. But for now, could I just say, pray that God would give you and his church, this church, a faith that is resilient, that gets back up. Because I'm telling you, often in the quiet times of your life with Christ, and you're like, God's not moving. God's not speaking. Well, maybe, it's, maybe it's me. Well, maybe. Maybe there is a sin in your life and you need to confess it. But maybe God's being quiet like a good coach or a good parent, and he's letting you stand on your own two feet and kind of toddle around a little bit. And he's like, you got this. You 
You got this. We're good. We're good. If you fall, I'm here. But let's run the play. Let's get aggressive. Let's go after this thing. And that's my prayer this morning, that we would have a more resilient faith, that we wouldn't just wake up every morning and be like, I'm doomed. God hates me. My life is terrible. Maybe it is. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe your life is that bad. And, And maybe that's truth for you. But can I just tell you that Jesus is bigger than any problem you've ever got in your life, and he's so much better than anything you've ever got in your life, and it could be that he has those things in your life for a reason to say, great, take the punch, get back up, let's go. You're bigger than this. You're better than this because I'm in you. Let's go. Let's fight the gates of hell together. Let's do this. Let's win. Knowing that Christ has called us to some pretty big things. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I pray this morning that as we have talked that something has maybe stuck in a, in a mind and a heart this morning from your word. I pray that you would, as we just said, make us more resilient. That when we feel the enemy trying to tell us all these things about the things that we are struggling with and how bad our life is, would you remind us with scripture time and time again, you have not left us nor abandoned us. You are there to fight our battles for us. You are there to fight every fear that comes into our mind. You're there to fight every battle that comes into our life because you're the only one who can. God, would we take the posture of that woman from Canaanite who took a posture of knees on the floor saying, only you. I know who I am. I know who you are. You need to move. I need to be respectfully dependent upon you. Make us strong. God, for the men in this room, wake us up. Wake us up to the needs of our family, to those around us. Make us a stronger, more resilient church that gets back up and fights the next fight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.